Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 11. John chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Finally got to the last chapter of John. Allow me to read this passage. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana of Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will also come with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet his disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul in uh, because of the great number of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. So when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for the work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the dry land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Let's bow together. The Lord, help us to get a clear understanding of what you're telling us through your word today. Help us, Lord, then to apply it to our lives and live it in a way that truly brings honor and glory to you. Guide us in our study today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Jesus appears to his disciples for the third time since his resurrection. Um, but he's no longer in Jerusalem. He is now in Galilee. Uh, they are on the Sea of Tiberias, also known as the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Chinnereth, also known as Lake Gennesareth. So if you hear any of those, it's all the same body of water. Why there's so many names for it, I have no clue. But we find him with seven different men this time. We know that five of them are his apostles that he called. We see them as Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, and the two sons of Zebedee are James and John, uh, John the writer of this book. Then it says two other disciples were with him. Now, we don't know if these were two of his apostles that he had called or just two other followers of Christ. Many think it's maybe two other apostles, uh, maybe Andrew and Philip. We really just do not know, but uh, for whatever reason, those two are unnamed. So we look and we see that uh, are these apostles being obedient? There's, first of all, there's only seven out of the eleven that are there. So they've split up somewhere along the way. They're not still together. 
Now, if you went back to Matthew's gospel, at the very end, verse chapter 28, when Jesus gives that commission to them, he says, now go into Galilee to a mountain and I will meet you there. It says a mountain. Does this look like a mountain? I don't think the Sea of Tiberias looks much like a mountain. The mountains are probably not too far away, but they're at the sea fishing instead of on a mountain. So what's the situation here? Why are the, these men fishing? Well, first of all, Peter is the one that says, let's go fishing. And the rest of them just decided, okay, sounds like a good idea to us. We were all professional fishermen before Jesus called us, so let's go fishing. So there's one thing that we have to understand is that Jesus understood what was going to happen after his death and after his resurrection. He knew that his apostles were going to be scattered. He knew that they were going to be confused. He knew that they would not know what to do. No matter what he said, there was a uncertainty in their hearts. Now, one thing that if you went back in John, if you want to go back to John chapter 16, verse 32. John 16, verse 32. It says, Behold, an hour is coming and has now already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Now Jesus at that time was foretelling what was going to happen when he was crucified. He knew that they would be scattered. He knew that they would be frightened. He knew what was going to take place. Now if you look at that verse in your Bible, it says, And each scattered to his own home. The word home is probably in italics in your Bible, if you have the word there at all. That means it was added by the scribes. It was not an original to the, to the Greek manuscript. So in actuality, what this verse is saying is that they are going each to their own. They're going back to their own, their own way of life. Jesus knew that this would take place. Why would they go back to their own way of life? Well, here's the situation. They had been following Jesus for over three years. During that entire time, they had depended on Jesus, either personally providing for their needs or for the ministry of others given to them, like people like Mary Magdalene that we've already talked about. There are a number of other women and others that contributed greatly to the support of Jesus and his apostles during those three plus years of ministry. Now, Jesus is not going to be with them. He's, he's resurrected, but he's not falling around with them. He's not present with them. They know that there's going to be a time where he will not be with them at all anymore. And so they are concerned, how are we going to survive? How are we going to make a living? How are we going to have food? Well, the simple thing is, let's go back to our own way of life. We were professional fishermen before this took place. We can go back and become fishermen again. We can earn our way of living. Well, sounds kind of reminiscent of how this all began. Let me invite you to go to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. We'll look at verses 1 through 11. This takes place at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the words of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is also lake of uh, Tiberias, which is also the uh, Sea of Galilee, uh, 
and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little ways into the, uh, from land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all of his companions because of the great catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. What a coincidence. The exact same way that they began is the way that Jesus is ending his time with them. They caught nothing. Let's bring it back into the current, back to John chapter 21. That day again, they caught nothing. Why do you think they didn't catch anything? Were they a little rusty because they hadn't fished in so long? Could it be that it just wasn't a good night's for fish? They didn't check the fishing forecast before they left? Or could it be that Jesus controlled what took place? In my heart, I believe that Jesus took complete control of what took place. Uh, why would Jesus not want them to catch any fish? If they needed resources to live by because he would no longer be there to provide those resources, why wouldn't he want them to catch a normal amount of fish and have regained confidence in their abilities to provide for themselves? Maybe that's not what Jesus wanted them to do, is be fisher of fish anymore. Remember, he began by saying, instead of being fishermen, I want you to be fishers of men. And that did not cease when he was crucified or resurrected. He continued to want them to be that exact same thing. So I believe that he did not want them to see that they could provide for themselves again. So that, I believe, is the reason why they caught nothing. Now, notice verse 4. Now the day was breaking. Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know who it was. In other words, Jesus hid his appearance from them for his own purpose, did not want them to come to shore saying, Oh, it's the Master. And then he says, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? Now the word children is something that we kind of struggle with. He wasn't really calling them children. It was just a way of calling out, like, Lads, you don't have any fish, do you? Now, he probably asked it as if he were going to say, if you have any fish, I'll buy some from you. Uh, probably pretty common for the locals to come and see a fisherman out about to come into land and say, do you have any fish? I'd like to have some. But they give a one-word answer, no. They're disgusted that they went back to fishing and didn't catch a single fish after a whole night's work. So we look 
And we see that, again, I think Jesus was the one who caused them not to catch any fish. Uh, an act of obedience. Look at verse 6. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. Now, I don't know how wide that boat was, but you would think that if there's fish on the right-hand side, there'd be fish on the left-hand side, wouldn't you? But the width of the boat made all the difference. No, it wasn't the width of the boat. It was Jesus that made all the difference. Jesus commanded them to put their nets out on the right-hand side of the boat. Now, they knew that they fished all night, but they hadn't caught anything. So what did it matter? Why not try one more time? Maybe this man sees something from the shore that we can't see from the boat. Who knows? No, Jesus knew exactly where the fish were because he caused them to be there. And so they let down their nets and they caught so many fish in their nets that they could not pull them in. Unlike the first time, this time the nets held strong. They were not about to break. Then recognition comes, verses 7 and 8. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord now, that disciple who Jesus loved is the writer of this gospel. It is John. It is the one who uh, does not ever draw attention to himself, but this is his way of identifying himself. That's probably why he said the sons of Zebedee instead of James and John in verse 2. John was that first one, if you remember just a few weeks back, when that he, and, uh, he outran Peter to the tomb, he first looked in, and saw without recognition, without understanding, Peter then ran in and looked and saw with puzzlement, like, I'm going to figure this out, but I can't figure it out yet. And then John stepped in and looked with understanding. He understood what the empty tomb meant. He understood that the, that the grave clothes were still laying there as if they were still wrapped around a body, not torn away, not unwrapped. He understood what he was seeing. He was also that disciple who leaned against Jesus' breast at that Last Supper. He was the one that Jesus loved. We don't understand why he was called that or what that uh, relationship was, but for, he was the youngest, maybe the kind of the baby of the group, but he had a special relationship with Jesus. And he was the first, again, to recognize Jesus. Now, we assume that Peter must have been standing beside him and he said, Look, Peter, it's the Lord, it's the Lord. So when Peter recognized that it was Jesus, he put his outer clothes back on and dove in and swam to shore. Now, he was stripped down. That doesn't mean they were sitting there naked. It means that they probably just had loincloths on and he put his outer garment on uh, to be more presentable to his Lord. Why did Peter jump in? Why did he want to be the first one there? Well, Peter's always kind of antsy. He always wants to do, and he does before he thinks most of the time. Could it be that he knew that he needed some alone time with Jesus? And maybe if he got there before the disciples, he could have that. But we're going to find out that Jesus is not quite ready to have that face-to-face -face time with Peter. Or is it he, he just wants to beat everybody there? Probably more the, more the case. Whatever the reason is, Peter swims to shore and he gets out and Jesus has prepared a breakfast for them. A breakfast. Now, 
It's not grits and bacon and eggs. It's not a bagel. It's not a bowl of cereal. It's what's traditional for them, fish and bread. Now, the Bible specifically says he has a charcoal fire with the fish on it and bread. Now, when's the last time we heard the statement charcoal fire in John? Well, it just so happens it's not very far back. When Peter went into that courtyard following Jesus as he is, has been arrested, he gathers around a charcoal fire with the servants, and that's when they begin to ask him, aren't you one of his? He was simply warming himself. Could Jesus have built that charcoal fire as a way to, to remind Peter of the last time they were together? That Peter had abandoned him? That Peter had rejected him, had denied knowing him? Could be. But here's where we really need to come and spend some time. The Master's preparation. Does Jesus know how many disciples were on that boat? Of course he does. He knew before he got there how many he would meet there. Does he know how hungry they are? Of course he does. Does he know how many fish he needs to prepare in order to feed them? How much bread he needs to have prepared in order to feed them? Absolutely he does. So let's look and see what Jesus does. Pick up verse 10. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have caught. Why does Jesus need some of their fish? I don't think he does need any of their fish. Folks, this is a teachable moment that Jesus is using. He's already prepared enough food for his disciples, for those men coming in from the boat. So why is he asking them to bring some of their fish? Okay, Let's look at this spiritually. Jesus has been Savior. He's been the one to teach. He's been the one to draw people unto salvation. He has already given them a commission to go and to do likewise. To go and be fishers of men, to go and to teach, to bring people to Christ. He wants them to continue to be fishers of men. Not fish, but men. Jesus' ministry has been going on for over three years. It's about to end. Really, his, his primary ministry has ended with his death, burial, and resurrection. He will be appearing some for a little while, but within 40 days, he goes and ascends back to the Father, never to set foot on this earth again until the end time. So, why does Jesus ask for them to bring him some of their fish? Because now they are the ones who need to provide the fish. They are the ones who will need to continue his ministry. By them bringing some of their fish, it's Jesus saying, you continue to bring more fish to me. I want you to bring men to me. I want you to be fishers of men. Bring them to me like you're bringing these physical fish. I laid out fish for you to eat so that you know that I can take care of your needs. 
I've taught you all that you need to know. I've given you all the tools that you need, all the resources you will ever need to be fishers of men. Just like you are going over there and bringing me physical fish, I want you to go out and bring men to me. Those who are lost, that's what I need you to do. I don't want you to be fishermen. I want you to be fishers of men. Now, did they ever go back out and fish to, to supply their needs? I don't know. They may have. Uh, obviously, they had to eat. They had to have clothes. They had to uh, provide for themselves. Some had disciples that followed them and probably helped support them. They may have needed to go and uh, fish for a little while, but that was not going to be their occupation anymore. They were not going to resort back to their way of life. They were not going to go back and say, now we are fishermen again. They were still to be fishers of men. So Jesus is showing them by saying, bring me some of your fish and lay them with what I already have. He's saying, I already have these who believe in me. These who are already followers of me. I need more. I want more. Now, it's amazing that verse 11 says that Simon Peter went out and drew the net to land full of large fish. Large fish. Now, if you go back to Jesus feeding the multitude, according to most researchers, Jesus fed them with little sardines. Actually, they were dried sardines that would be kind of almost like a paste and some few loaves of bread. These were large fish. These were big fish. And somebody stopped and counted them. 153 fish. Is there something special about that number? I don't know if there is. I don't know it. But here's the case. Just as they counted those fish, knowing how many, Jesus knows each and every one who needs to come to him. He knows how, we, how many we need to go out and reach for Christ. He knows that his ministry on earth has not ended just because he's ascended to the Father. He knows that he has left behind fishers of men. Now, did the fishers of men end when the apostles died off, when they were martyred, when John died of old age? Absolutely not. We are fishers of men. We are his disciples. We have the same exact calling upon our lives as these men did that day. So we look and we see that Jesus is calling us to bring some fish to add to his. There's no telling how many people came to a saving knowledge of Jesus while he was alive, before he ascended into heaven. You have to understand that many of those who heard his teachings just thought that they were good teachings. And they saw his miraculous signs, and they said, who but God could do these? But how many of them had a true salvation experience with Jesus while he was on the face of this earth? Probably more after the fact that they saw him resurrected from the dead than before his crucifixion. probably only talking thousands. How many would these men reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Far more than Jesus' own ministry would ever be able to touch. These men went out into many different directions, out into the world, 
and they shared Christ. They preached Christ and Him resurrected. They preached the gospel. And thousands upon thousands upon thousands came to Christ. Matter of fact, the very first sermon was by Simon Peter on that day of Pentecost, and 3,000 became followers of Christ that day. Within the first century, there were millions of Christians. Millions. How did they become followers of Christ? Because somebody went fishing. These apostles and those who followed became fishers of men. They kept adding fish to what Jesus already had. That's what he's calling us to do today. Be fishers of men. Folks, we don't need to count how many people we lead to the Lord. We don't need to have notches on our belt or, or tick marks in the back of our Bible. That's not for us to worry about. As a matter of fact, we have absolutely no control of who comes to Christ. The only thing that we have control of is how we share Christ. How often we share Christ. How we allow the Holy Spirit of God to work in us and through us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we share, as people hear, it is up to them and the Holy Spirit working in them to take the word of God that we share with them for them to be drawn unto salvation. We have, I cannot save anybody. You cannot save anybody. If somebody comes to Christ under our ministry, Praise the Lord for it. But I didn't save them. You didn't save them. God saved them. The Holy Spirit worked in their hearts and drew them to salvation through what we have been able to share. Folks, our world is lost without Christ. I don't know percentages. I have a feeling that there's quite a much larger lost population percentage-wise today than there was when we were born. I believe we have lost generations into ungodliness. How do I believe that? Look at our nation. Look at what we are believing as a nation. Look at the path that we are following as a nation. Is it godly? Absolutely not. It's becoming more ungodly each and every day. Why is that? Because there's fish out there that we're not willing to go fishing for. There are souls out there that we're not willing to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with. And we need to allow God to use us. How do we do that? There's many different ways. Some people are gifted just to walk up to a total stranger, share their personal testimony and plan of salvation, and the Holy Spirit works in their lives, and they come to Christ. That's kind of a rarity, to be honest with you. In most situations with a common, normal, everyday Christian, it is building a little bit of a relation with, relationship with someone where they're willing to listen to what you have to say. And then as you build that relationship, you share your life story. You share your faith in Jesus Christ. You may even just simply invite them to come to church, Sunday school, so that they can hear the Word of God. And if they won't, and you say, you've known me for a while. You know how I live. I want to share with you why I live this way. And just share your testimony, how you came to Christ, 
and what an impact it has made on your life since. And then say, I'd love for you to have that same kind of relationship with the Lord that I have. To have that assurance that when that day comes that I pass away from this earth, it won't be the end because I will have everlasting life with my Lord. To have that assurance that I'm in His hands right now, no matter what takes place in my life, whether I have cancer, whether I die of a heart attack, whether a bus hits me, it doesn't matter. I know that I'm in His hands and I know where my future is and it's secure. To be able to share that faith that confidence that we have of knowing who Jesus is in our life, that He is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but through Him. Sharing that testimony and showing them how they too can have that same relationship with the Lord. That's how the large majority of people come to Christ. By building a little bit of a relationship, there's no telling how many people we know that don't have that relationship with the Lord if we would just spend a little bit of time sharing with them our life story, our spiritual story, we never would know until we do it how God can use that and the Holy Spirit can take that and begin to draw them to the truth of salvation. If they come to salvation, praise the Lord that you had a part in it, but it was God that brought the salvation, not us. We're just simply being obedient fishers of men. Jesus said, bring me some of your fish. What fish do we have to bring him? Where are they? Where are the fish that Jesus wants us to bring? Uh, they're out there. Allow God to show us who to go to, how to share his love, how to share our life story, our spiritual life story, so that others can hear about Christ, about His saving grace, His unconditional love. Some of them say, well, I'm, I, you know me, I'm, I do this, I do this, I do this, and God couldn't love me. Oh, yes, He could. He loved us enough that while we we're still sinners, Christ died for us. So yes, He can. I may not have been into those same things, I was not a good person because I was living to self instead of to Christ. And we need Christ. So where are the fish? Jesus is here today and said, bring me some of your fish. How would we go and get them? Well, here's something I believe is true. When he tells us to do something, he equips us to do it. Jesus knew those disciples had a net and he told them to drop the net and he brought the fish to the net. That net was a simple tool that those disciples had that day and they brought in 153 large fish. Do you think Jesus would send us out without the proper tools? He's already given us everything we need. So he will use what we have and bring the fish to himself. We just got to be faithful with the tools that God's given us. The spiritual gifts that he's given us, the confidence in our salvation, the love that he's given us, just to share what God has done in our lives through the mercy of Christ. Share it. 
God always blesses those who are obedient. And the fish will come. The men, the women, children of this world that need salvation are out there. They're needy. They're dying without Christ. We, we must continue to share this message of salvation. Share how it's impacted our lives so that they have an opportunity to hear it and allow the Holy Spirit to draw them so that they too can receive this beautiful, wonderful gift of salvation and eternal life. Let's bow together. Dear Lord, you have called each and every one of us as one of your children, as a fisher of men. Lord, we cannot deny that fact. Or the only thing we can do is not do it, be disobedient. Or we can be obedient and be fishers of men. Lord, help us to be obedient. Lord, it's fearful in our hearts to to share Christ for some reason. We're afraid of what other people may say or think about us. Lord, let us be more fearful that they will die and go to hell. Let us be more fearful of their eternal damnation than what they may think about us. Help us, Lord, to see the fish, the men, women, and children that need to hear the gospel gospel of salvation and Lord give us the words give us the spirit give us the ability to share it in such a way that that person those people that we come across in life will hear it and allow your Holy Spirit to penetrate their hearts with these truths and draw them to salvation Lord may we be found faithful in Jesus name we pray Amen